everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 83 of the show, where we are still in early days in the brand new year of 1965. We're going to have like civil rights acts and Medicaid acts and all sorts of acts this year. But our acts in this episode involve comics from February. Fun fact for uh, the show, I am exactly negative 10 years old when these books came out. Sweet. Yeah. I am negative 14. <laughs> so we're almost there. I teach eighth graders, and the vast majority of eighth graders who have a birthday ha- are turning 14. So oh. I've said many, many times, congratulations on being 14. They let me be 14 for a whole year. Right? Right. It's funny how that works. That's my joke, kids. That's what I got. He's a teacher, everybody. I got to keep the math interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, where are we starting tonight? Tales to Astonish 67 is in your court. In my court. Tales to Astonish 67. On the cover. Oh, and this was released February 4th, as are all the comics tonight, because it's our first week of release in February. And on the cover are the Hulk and Giant Man and the Wasp. Um we have our two stories. They're splitting the cover between them. Giant Man is still in his new red and blue costume with the helmet of dubious fashion choice. <laughs> yep. And uh, this is the mystery of the hidden man and his rays of doom. Yeah. That sounds big deal. Way Out Story by Stan Lee, Ring-A-Ding Art by Bob Powell, Swing and Inkin by Shikstone, Boss Balloons, Boss, <laughs> Boss Balloons by Artie Simic. Earth-shaking editor's note, this may not be the greatest story you've ever read, but we guarantee it's one of the kookiest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's scary when Stan is admitting it's not the greatest story ever read. Yeah. Ever written. So Stan, uh, Stanley, so Giant Man is pursuing a thief in a car and he runs into some phone lines accidentally. Uh, no, he doesn't run into phone lines. He's near some phone lines when he gets bathed in a mysterious green ray. And he knows he's not running into power lines because his gloves are completely insulated. So even though he can touch the power lines nearby, they're not the things that are shocking him. But in a hidden laboratory some distance away, a dude in a mysterious costume getup is using um, a green ray on Giant Man, trying to steal his ability to change size. Uh, back at the scene of the chase, Giant Man is able to grab the um, vehicle that the man is uh, getting away in. The man escapes and dives into the river. Um, Giant Man looks in the back of the vehicle. It's like a big electronic lab. Um, back at the mysterious hideout, um, the, the mysterious guy is there with the same costume. And now he's trying to get Giant Man's power, but he doesn't have it yet. Um... Giant Man tells the Wasp, hey, uh, I've got you a new uh, idea. I, I know that you get tired when you go long distances and in your wings, and and I've got this bee I've been training. So you, if you have to go a long ways while I'm Giant Man, you can, you can ride on this bee. And she's like, why not a wasp? And he's like, well, because bees are easier to train, because training bees is a thing people do. <laughs> Um, there's some stuff with a guy who like is an expert on bees. 
So the, the mysterious green ray dude shoots his green ray at the bee expert so he can learn a lot about bees now. And um, I don't know. Stuff with Wasp getting zapped by the green ray. So she gets knocked out. Giant man shrinks down to save her. He gets zapped by a green ray. Um, he, um, he can't grow back up because he got, he lost his, his, uh, his size changing power. Opposite. He can't shrink. He can't shrink because he steals his power when he's shrunk. So now all he can do is grow. Okay. He steals his power. So the next page where they look small together, they're actually the right size. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so he can't shrink anymore. He can grow to giant man and he can return to normal size by shrinking. He just can't shrink past <laughs> regular size down to ant size anymore because that power was taken from him. Science. Yeah, so mysterious dude in a costume goes after him some more, drives after him. Uh, there is a fight. He tries to hit him with laser beams. Um, it doesn't work. Aliens show up and capture him. Um, you know the penalty for trying to conquer primitive planets. Your crime is unforgivable. We'll undo whatever harm you've done. And they fly away. And Giant Man and the Wasp were like, wow, that was a thing that happened. And that's the end. Boy, we had a nice two-issue run there, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they really decided, never mind, let's not put any energy into this. Um, I, was, I was horribly disappointed with this story quite a bit. Yeah. It was horrible. In the Stan cover is wasn't not wrong. <laughs> this may not be the greatest story you've ever read. You are right, Stan. This was not the greatest story I've ever read. No. Um. I, I saw the cover and I was uninspired because it's like the hidden man and his rays of doom. Like that's uh-huh. a kooky title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the last Bob Powell story on this book. He is going to stay mm. on the torch a little while longer, but I liked what he normally was doing. Uh, this just is not his, his winner. Oh, this was pretty horrible. Um, I mean, I assume, a- I mean, the bad guy is pretty forgetful and his motivations are to take over the world. I guess I don't like his magic ray of magic that just like can somehow suck whatever it needs to suck out and give it to him. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's your knowledge on bees or your ability to shrink, even though that's not even like a, a genetic, knowledge. it's not even a genetic or biological thing. That's something that he's created for himself, you know, with capsules right. and whatever, and however he does it now. Yeah. So how does that even steal anything? It's just kind of weird. Um, yeah. I don't know. I did like the idea of giving the wasp a beater right on to stay caught because it is a thing. Giant man is taking strides that are pretty significant and she's in her little wasp wings trying to fly really fast. Uh So getting a bee to do that flying for her so that she can go longer distances is pretty neat. And I looked it up. A bee averages 15 miles per hour. That's a four minute mile. And I feel like that should be able to keep up with giant man pretty easily if he's at 12 feet. That's uh-huh. probably a good pace for him. So that makes but sense. Once again, a guy who calls himself Ant-Man, it was very thematic about being Ant-Man, is once again taking every opportunity to go AWOL on that theme whenever possible. Because <laughs> now we have him being Giant Man, and then on top of that we have the Wasp riding a bee. Because right. why not? <laughs> it's just like, come on, Hank. Rein it in. Let's make this work. It's just kind of weird. Why not she a rides, wasp? Why could it have been be a wasp? F- right. She rides to be the first time, and it doesn't go well. So whenever Giant Man goes off to Giant Man, she's like, Drat, why should he have all the fun while I stay behind to become a glorified baby bee sitter? 
Well, they say mm. if you're thrown off a horse, you should get right back on and ride him again to conquer your fear. With well, the same thing, it probably applies to bees. So I kind of <laughs> love that. You know, she, yeah. she's gonna, she's determined to learn this whole bee thing he's worked out for her. Dude, the stuff in the back of that station wagon reminded me of the Ant-Man movies with the van. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. With the uh, Quantum Realm teleporter stuff or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, Gateway. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Look, and Hank Pym is like looking like Hank Pym. I haven't remember the last time I've seen him just be Hank Pym. Like just be himself in his lab? He's usually as giant man, like entertaining children or walking around or fixing the skylight or whatever. Like he actually dressed as a scientist to talk to this bald guy for five seconds. Like with a civilian identity, everything. Well, he's so wrapped up in his superhero identity. I think that becomes kind of a thing for him. Mm -hmm. The last panel tries to pretend that this is like an old school sci-fi story from before the superheroes. Mm-hmm. It tries to go moralistic for one brief fleeting moment in eternity. Two living beings met and fought and parted. And now it's over. Mm-hmm. And no one will ever know. And no one will ever care, Hank. That's the point. I like how he doesn't tell the wasp because she won't believe him. Like, really? Because she doesn't do every adventure with you and know that the Marvel Universe is bonkers? Your like first the- adventure with her involved a booger monster <laughs> coming down through a superpowered telescope and killing your dad. Yes, but this is too impossible for her to wrap her head too around. Too impossible. The Squire of Gothos ripoff, or is this backwards? Maybe this came first, I guess. So this is the anti-penultimate um, giant man story, which means there are two more. It's third uh-huh. from the end. But this is the last Bud Powell, so that means there's probably not any hope that those last two are going to be good. Well, Jack Kirby does the next one, and I actually kind of dug it, so we'll have to see that when we get there. Why is Jack – well, I guess we'll find out in a second because he's also going to do the next Hulk on this book. Exactly. And for – so, like, like, we'll we'll talk about it, but Tales to Astonish is going to be a Kirby story, a Kirby book next issue. I always wonder the behind the scenes on that stuff. Like, because I read that the Hulk, the end of the Hulk on this one is going to be, they announced it. And I'm just like, does he just, like, get a hankering to do Hulk again? Or is it because, like – they're losing the creative team and he's like the go-to guy to fill in or how does this mm-hmm. work with Kirby? Cause he's doing everything. He's got Thor. He's got fantastic four. He's got tales of suspense. Half of it. What else is he doing? Is that it? That's a lot. Uh, the, the, he's doing the X-Men also right now. Oh, and the X-Men. Yeah. So he's doing three full books and a half book. And now they're going to give him another full book. He was doing more than that. So I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of Thor, for whatever reason, we usually cover Thor first, which is probably because the order doesn't really matter, but whoever made our chronology just read Thor first. Um, but now we actually have a situation where the Thor stories are pushed into the future a bit because he's he's doing stuff that like has to be after his Avengers run. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be the last book we talk about tonight instead of the first. Yeah. Um, but should we move on to Hulk? Hulk. That monster clown. This one should be easy for you. So this is Where Strides the Behemoth, mm-hmm. script by Stan Lee, who created the Hulk, art by Steve Ditko, who adopted the Hulk, inking by Frank Ray, who fears the Hulk, and lettering by Art Simic, who looks like the Hulk. He wishes. <laughs> okay. Hulk is fighting the army <laughs> in a Soviet country. Like, they're rolling tanks, and he's fighting them because the Hulk is stronger. Um, they fight, and they fight. And they fight. And Hulk basically beats up their entire army. And then he's like, wait a second. Why am I here again? <laughs> I asked I don't the even same know question. Why here. I don't even know where I am. I, I want to go home. So he starts hopping all over the Asian continent and ends up 
sleeping in the Himalayas, falling asleep and turning back into Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko. <laughs> Did I even say that? <laughs> Peter Parker, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Turns back into Bruce Banner, and um, he is waylaid by some bandits, and they're like, give us all your money or you're going to die. And he's like, dude, I'm I'm a very important American scientist. If you get me to the embassy, I can get you money. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll get you um, to the embassy or something like that. Um, Dr. Banner, as a prisoner of the Mongolian bandit chief named Kanga Khan, is the, to- the topic of a message that comes across to a military installation stateside. And some unknown higher up tells Major Talbot about this and sends Major Talbot to go and get Bruce. And so Bruce is just kind of sitting there being held by this bandit named Kanga Khan. These other bandits are, are nearby. Major Talbot shows up, sees Bruce, says, you're going home to stand trial because I know that you're a traitor. And Bruce is like, I don't care. I'm just so glad to see you. Um, other bandits attack. And so Talbot and Bruce decide to run away and they run off the edge of a cliff. They're, they're, the cliff face like falls underneath them. So they're falling to their death. And Steve Ditko says, okay, I'm done. The end. <laughs> Good luck, Kirby. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, not a lot to say because it's mostly, like you said, a big fight with tanks, which were, which was fun. But, um, is this like the first time that Hulk is actively like, sat down and calmed down and went to sleep and turned to Bruce Banner. Like, are they figuring out that's why he should turn back to Bruce Banner? Yeah. I gasped when I saw that. I was like, is this it? Are we finally at the right combination? Yeah. I hope so. Cause that um, seemed more, more right to me. He's turned into Bruce from being calm, like in the early days, mm-hmm. um, or just happened to turn into Bruce while he was, I don't know. Cause they like tried to do it with the nighttime and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how we got here, but we are definitely in the speech patterns that we generally expect from the Hulk. Yeah, I think we commented on that last time. There was no, like, one issue that switched it over. I think he's just gradually been getting kind of, I don't want to say dumber, but just, like, less uh, verbal. Erudite. Yes. Yes. His speech patterns have, have definitely gone more primitive, uh, I guess. Yeah, more just directly about what he's feeling and... Not so much about his 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 lot in life or anything like that. Um, this is the second time in a handful of issues that Hulk has done a particular thing that kind of annoys me. Hmm. Um, he grabs the ground and shakes it like a carpet. Yeah, that's the thing they seem to like to do in comic books, which never made any sense to me. It's literally dirt. <laughs> He's picking up the ground right. and shaking it like a carpet. Right. Yeah. That's just weird. It's just too cartoony. I know it's comics. I know it's funny, but it's just like, eh. I mean, even I if it was asphalt, it still wouldn't make any sense. It would still no, just break. The yeah. thing does it sometimes. Just Hulk has done it twice in a row now. And it's just like, uh, I don't like that move. Yeah. Um, he does the thunderclap again in this. And mm-hmm. I want to say thank you to Billy Delicious on Twitter for letting us know that's called a thunderclap. Thunderclap. That's a good superhero name. Yeah. Um, that sounds like an STD, actually. Now, uh, he does say he wants to go home, but then he's like, where is home? This place is good as any. Eventually, he actually will be able to zero in on his home. Like, that's one of his superpowers. That's oh, list- yeah? That gets to be listed as part of his, you know, dossier when you talk about what Hulk can do. Like, somehow he always knows how to go back to where he was spawned. Like okay. He has this weird direction sense. 
I guess not yet. Or he does and he just doesn't care and he wants to sleep. One of the two. Or he doesn't realize it yet. Yeah. I mean, he is bouncing somewhere, but then he gets tired and gives up. Although that is one way to end a plot point. Just let Hulk get in, get confused and yeet himself away. Mm-hmm. He's just like I I don't I don't I don't know why I'm here. Bye. So I thought this guy was uh uh, what's his face, jerky major general guy, but apparently it's not because this guy doesn't like Talbot very much. Thunderbolt Ross, I thought so too. Yeah, but it's not. Um. I don't know who it's supposed to be. Or maybe it was supposed to be, but then they gave him the wrong dialogue, so now it can't be. I don't know why the story reason is that we have two generals giving Talbot orders. Mm-hmm. Like, if the other person were somebody, you know, that we could know and distinguish from Ross, that's fine. Or if there was some reason that Talbot was at some other base besides Ross's base, that's fine. But I don't know why this is different. But it's interesting that this guy, I don't know if he doesn't like him. Maybe that's an unfair assumption because maybe it's just the military and they just talk rudely to each other. But he's like, I didn't ask for your opinion. Dismissed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, does that mean that Talbot's not maybe as cool as he thought he was? Because he, like, <laughs> he seemed like he was the guy when when Ross brought him in, you know, from right. wherever he came from. Maybe he's not so great. He's played by a really smarmy actor on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh-huh. Um that I first got to know in the Heroes TV show back in the day. Mm. He played uh, Peter Petrelli's older brother who was running for office and found out he could fly. Um, oh, okay. He plays Talbot in the TV show. And I don't know. I'm sure the, the actor is a lovely person. He just kind of, you know, has a way of rubbing you the wrong way whenever mm-hmm. he's, you know, being a person. Oh, he was always swarmy, swarmy in that uh, 80s cartoon, too. Like, I know we're not supposed to like him, and he's getting to that point now where he's playing that part pretty well. Mm-hmm. Although he does have these, he does like, except for the part where he leads them to a cliff that breaks underneath their feet. Like he actually does punch his way out of this situation, and he is kind of a cool like army badass guy. Yeah, he has holds which, himself in a fight, which I would have assumed he was more cowardly than that. But maybe that he comes later. Me, he gives me Tony Stark energy. Like, uh, except uncool. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if whenever he's running around in those clothes, he could totally be Tony Stark. He could be. Yeah. Or Doctor Strange. So, this is the last Steve Ditko story in this mm-hmm. run. He is exclusive to Spider Man and Doctor Strange until he leaves Marvel. Well, I got to say, like, I kind of like the last issue he did of the original run. And this one has been okay, but I also feel like it kind of meanders and maybe he doesn't know what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of glad to see him go because I think he just um, ran out of ideas for the Hulk. Hulk just doesn't seem like a character that's for him. Uh, it's it's like I like the ideas. I like the humanoids. I like the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I like getting to know the leader here. I did not really love Hulk just randomly getting captured by the Reds for no mm-hmm. reason. You're right. And we've been there for three issues now, I think, or something. Yeah. Um but I do feel like this series has been like an old-timey serial, mm-hmm. but an old-timey serial that didn't have an ending. Yeah. Like an old-timey serial, you just go from plot point to plot point to plot point, kind of meanderingly, until you work your way toward the climax of whatever the uh, overall plot is. This one just doesn't have that like overall plot that is going to have an ending at the end. Right. But, yeah, um, and it just kind of didn't have any weight to it because of that, I think, kind of. Like, it just keeps going and going and going, and 
you know, who cares after a while. So it'll be interesting to see what Kirby does with it, if he continues with the same pacing or if he has his own ideas or... Well, he does have quite a bit of a run after this, and I was trying to think if there's another character that Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby both contributed significantly to. Uh, well, Kirby definitely didn't do Spider-Man or Doctor Strange, so... Right. There must be Hulk. Like, Ditko and Kirby are very different energies. Uh-huh. But they both contributed a lot to the Hulk. I bet they didn't get along either. Complete speculation on my part, but <laughs> I just feel like they didn't. But I don't know. I have so much respect for Steve Ditko as a creator, like a lot of respect for him as a creator. Um, and I was very, very sad when he died, much more mm. than when Stan died. Um, but I understand he was a difficult person to work to, to sure. exist with personally. I'm sure Kirby was also in his own way, different way. Yeah, but different way. More of a thing, Nick Fury kind of way. Um, Bruce Banner gets some dialogue, though, besides just where am I? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of like, he felt very Peter Parkery to me when he was dealing with Talbot. I thought so, too. Talbot, were you born a knothead or did you have to work yeah, at it? Yeah. It's like, oh, suddenly you're uh, you're kind of funny and bantering and stuff, where usually you're just morose and complaining. Yeah, we don't usually get this Bruce banter. Bruce banter. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I loved it. But it was different, and we were always complaining that we don't get any Bruce Banner, so it was kind of nice that he had at least a couple pages of dialogue. He has, every time he's been Bruce Banner, he has either been full of angst or not full of angst, but kind of stoic. He's always seen a pretty serious dude. Yeah. But yeah, I guess maybe it's just like so overjoyed by getting to leave and go home because Uh of Major Talbot. It's like, wow, life is actually being good for once. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see him have a job again or do something besides just be the in-between panels. So mm-hmm. we'll get there, I hope. Maybe, maybe we Bruce, don't. Maybe he's never a scientist again, for all I know. Maybe Bruce Banner is like Steve Rogers. It's just like <laughs> right? never really a thing that happens. Right. Maybe. Except in Cap's case, he's still Steve Rogers, sort of. Whereas with Hulk, it's like, yes, I guess he's technically Banner, but he's not really. Yeah. So what are we doing? Are we just like suffering this character we don't care about and waiting for the Hulk to show up? Kind of (laughs) weird. Hulk fans out there, do you like Bruce Banner? Write in and tell us because I've always wondered, is he interesting? I like David Banner a lot. Before Peter David, Uh does Bruce Banner get any sort of like traction? Right. Let us know out there in listener land. (sighs) All right. Okay. Anything else? Speaking of Daredevil. Speaking of Daredevil, <laughs> speaking of Hulk versus Daredevil, um, Daredevil number seven, lucky number seven tonight, and that's mine. It's the, this epic doesn't need any hard sell. It's one of Marvel's greatest. Um, okay. That's all I have to say about that. It's another super spectacular in the mighty Marvel tradition, written by the master of the spoken word, Stan Lee. Drawn by the master of the printed picture, Wally Wood. Lettered by the monster of the blurb balloon, Artie Simek. And it's called In Mortal Combat with dot 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 Submariner. Dun dun dun. Ooh. It opens on this really cool splash page of Submariner and his throne and all his people and stuff. And he's talking to Krang, who's like the head emperor, not emperor, emperor warlord, head warlord for his, you know, fighting army and stuff like that. And Krang's like, our people have long suffered under this water that we can breathe and 
thrive in. We need to go up to the surface and take over. And Namor's like, yeah, but, you know, we've tried that before and it kind of didn't work. And I'm sort of in a more mellow mood. And I don't know that I really want to just go out all out war. But I totally kind of agree with you also, Krang, that they should respect us. And then Dorma, who's sitting at his side, is like, no, you shouldn't do anything. And he's like, nah, shut up, woman. Fine, I'm going to do something because I'm a man and you don't know what you're talking about. So, but he's not going to invade this time. He's just going to go up there and see if he can figure out legally how to take over the world. Uh, So, he gets up there and he does the Prince Neighbor thing that he's done before where he basically just walks through the streets in his swimsuit. And at first, everybody runs, but then they all sort of kind of gather and watch as he can't figure out doors and just pushes through them and breaks through elevators. And basically his strategy is, I don't really understand human law, so I'm going to go find a lawyer. Guess who he finds? That's right. He finds Nelson and Murdoch, and he crashes through their front door, and he's like, tell me how to sue the human race. And they're like, well, you can't really do that because uh, there's no legal precedent for it, and also no one particular nation represents the entire human race. And he's like, don't bother me with details. I'm the Prince of Atlantis. And he starts breaking their desks and stuff. But Foggy kind of placates him and convinces him that Matt's not wrong. So he's like, fine, I have a new idea. And he goes crashing through the wall, and he starts breaking a bunch of stuff with the theory that if he gets arrested, then he'll have his time in court. So he's breaking a lot of things, and tanks and airplanes and stuff are all coming at him, and Matt decides to go out as Daredevil and see if he can, like, mitigate some of this, because he doesn't want Neymar to hurt all these people. So he hitches a ride on a low-passing airplane, and he uh, flips around on a light, a street light, and he slams really hard into Neymar, and it doesn't really do much. Neymar then tries to punch him to death and misses a couple times, but ultimately is too quick for Daredevil, grabs his leg, pulls him into the water because they're fighting on a pier, at which point he thoroughly trounces Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil is unconscious and starts to drown. Neymar decides, you know, this guy had no chance against me, but he's pretty valiant, so I don't want him to die. So he grabs him and tosses him out onto the surface. He then surrenders and says, please arrest me. And when you arrest me, call my lawyers. Matt, and, or, uh, you know, Foggy and Nelson, Nelson and Murdoch, or whatever they're called. Yeah. So now they're in the uh, court and they have all kinds of charges against him because he's been doing a lot of bad things over the years at, at Make Ours Marvel. So um, just as they're about to uh, uh, list those charges, though, what's her face comes back. Dorma, Lady Dorma comes in and she's like, hey, while you were gone, Crank started a rebellion. Um, and Namor's like, oh, so that's why he wanted me to come up here, because he wanted me out of the way so that he could take over. I have to go back. And they're like, no, no, don't go back, because that's just going to have to start all this over again. So Matt advises him, can't you just hang for 24 hours and proceed from there? And he's like, okay, fine, I agree to 24 hours. And they put him in prison. But of course, the prison system doesn't work that way, and the earliest they can get him on the schedule is a week from now, which he doesn't like to hear. So he breaks the bars, and he leaves, and he tries to escape. And, of course, there's the armed guards and the army and all that again. Um, so Daredevil once again becomes – or Matt becomes Daredevil once again and uh, tells the troops to hold off. Let him try first to see if he can subdue Namor without their help because he doesn't want anybody to get hurt. So he has a few new tricks. One, he's got this new uh, uh, bola thing that comes out of the end of his, his uh, billy club. And the other thing he has is smoke – gas pellet things that 
come out of the end of his billy club. So that's the first thing he does is he cr- creates a bunch of smoke so Namor can't see him. Of course, he doesn't need to see, so he's at the advantage there. He then bolas Namor's ankle in the attempts to hold him down, but that doesn't work because Namor simply flies away. And he, while he's boasting and bragging, saying, you know, at any moment I can fly so hard and move so fast that you'll end up uh, uh, falling off that billy club of yours, while he's bragging about that uh, – Daredevil climbs up the rope and grabs him by the ankles and stops his wings from fluttering. So now they're both falling. Daredevil lets go and manages to, you know, uh, swing his way to safety. And Submariner manages to fly his way to the ground. They're now in a construction zone. So there's lots of fun possibilities like swinging on a big ball of chain and hitting Submariner and having things, you know, using big uh, 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 mechanical things to drop a bunch of rocks on Submariner. But none of that works because he's ridiculously powerful. So as Daredevil's trying to swing away, Submariner pulls a lamp out of the street and smacks him like a baseball bat with it, which really knocks Matt for a loop, but he still struggles to get back up. He lassos Submariner with a cable he finds on the ground that actually came out of that lamp he ripped out. And I don't know, he puts two wires together so that there's this big electric blast and it kind of slows Namor down a little bit, but it really knocks Matt out because he was also part of the blast. Um, But Namor starts to walk away and Daredevil like feebly reaches out and grabs his ankle to continue to try and stop him. And Namor's like, okay, you know what? You're a pretty valiant guy. I fought the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, but none of them are as cool as you. You try really hard. You got a lot of bravery, kid. So I'll tell you what. For your reward, I won't plow through all this army and kill everybody. I'll just go home. So he just goes home to, you know, fight off the rebellion that we probably won't see. Um, Then it cuts back to Matt with Band-Aids all over his face. Um, Foggy and Karen come in. Karen freaks out that he's got cuts, and she goes to tend to him. But trips over the chair and Matt leaps up out of his chair and catches her. So now she's like, hey, how'd you do that? And he's like, oh, uh, uh, I heard you falling and took an educated guess. But meanwhile, his forehead's sweating and she's thinking about how like, is it true? Is it possible that he can actually see better than he lets on? Dun, dun, dun. And then um, the end. Yeah. So this is, I don't know if you actually said it. This is the one where he gets his red suit. I didn't say it. But you're right. This is definitely the one where he gets his red suit. Very iconic cover that I've never read. Yes. Now that you've read it, what did you think? I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, I thought it was more fun than I thought it would be because I was thinking on the cover, like, come on, Submariner versus Daredevil? How can that even be a thing? You know? Right. But I don't know. I think they did it in a way that was interesting. I mean, there's a bit of comical element to it with the whole court thing, but... I also found that working for me because it just seems so preposterous in a way that only a god would would you know misunderstand how humans work. Yeah, the um, the whole like seeking out a legal recourse seemed weird to me. But this is the most Atlantean that we have seen Namor. He's ensconced on his throne. He has his people. He's making kingly decisions. Mm-hmm. It very much presages the status quo of his ongoing series. And this is the last Namor story before his ongoing series. So like he has come into his own finally in this uh, universe. So I was like trying to think because of all the, the guest appearances, Namor's probably the most prolific, right? Seems like. And so I was trying to think of his history as based on this show, like his on again, off again, you know, uh, uh, kingship with his people that he can or can't find. And I can't remember like the last time we saw him. 
Oh, it was when the Fantastic Four helped squash a rebellion without him knowing it, right? Um, that that last may time? have been the last time. That was definitely one of the recent times. I don't remember if there was anything more recent than that or not. So he's had the re- he's had the the leadership for a while. Yeah, or, or like, his like people we back. We haven't gotten to see him doing that. Like, yeah, because he got his people back bef- before that issue is like off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dorma comes to the Fantastic Four and says, "Hey, um, he's having trouble with Atuma." Can you come help with the fight? Right. And they come and help, and he doesn't even know that they helped. And then there was also the X-Men appearance where someone in there convinced him to go check out a mutant or to go sign on with the X-Men. But he also was – he has a lot of, like, people trying to backstab him in his uh, his little role here. He does definitely have reason to distrust people. Because that was the whole thing with the X-Men, too, is, like, Magneto used his telepathy to convince somebody to uh, – convince him to go join the X-Men so while he's gone they can start a rebellion. So every time he leaves someone starts a rebellion. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. But man, Wally Wood sure does like to draw Atlanteans. I thought this all looked really awesome. Yeah, it looks pretty great. It looks pretty great. Um as we get into the Namor series, some of the logic missteps and how exactly life underwater goes uh-huh. will become kind of a theme. I've been thinking about that while I've been watching the Marvel Superheroes cartoon, which is a couple years out, but it it adapts a lot of stuff from this era. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on underwater that makes it feel like it's not actually underwater, that it's actually just a story happening above ground with water in the background. Like uh, capes? There's not so much... Yeah, capes and... Dude, in the episode Namor I just watched, Dorma got caught in quicksand. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Outside of the jungle. In the water. <laughs> as long as you add some bubbles, I guess it's okay, right? Right. So, but but this this works pretty well. And uh, Wally Wood does the, draws the heck out of Namor. He's riding those turtles like a chariot. Uh-huh. It's pretty great. I do think that the whole, like, we want to bask in the heat of the sun and be above land like everybody else thing was kind of weird. Because it's like, you guys can't even breathe up there. Why do you want to be up there? Yeah. That seems like it was all kind of contrived, not just as a plot, but like contrived intentionally, contrived by Krang mm-hmm. to, you know, trick Namor into getting distracted. Yeah. Because they actually, they have abandoned him for getting too attached to surface people. Right. So one, attachment to the surface is not something that Atlanteans normally encourage. No. But uh, I thought all this, you know, walking through the streets and not understanding how revolving doors and elevators worked was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, like, Matt's response to his, like, I want to sue the world. Well, that doesn't really work. I thought that was pretty fun. Um, Namor's move is, I mean, that's just what he does. He walks through the streets looking regal and gar- garnering attention. Mm-hmm. That's just like, that's that's what Namor does. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. He's a pretty cool character. Um, uh, but Daredevil gets in red outfit. So they do – he does specifically acknowledge that it's a new outfit. He says he wanted to redesign his costume to make it more comfortable, more distinctive. Of course, he doesn't really comment on the fact that he can't see it or whether that's ever an issue for him. Uh, but this is it. This is the outfit he'll basically sport until Frank Miller will change the logo slightly on his chest. And otherwise, it's pretty set. Yeah, and whenever he changes outfits to something else, he comes back to this one. Mm-hmm. This is this is Daredevil's look. This is this is his costume. So much. I mean, I did like the yellow. I do think the yellow and uh, brown is kind of fun for a retro thing. But Wally Wood definitely made an improvement, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so much cooler. 
Um, I liked the bit where Namor has the handcuffs on mm-hmm. and he just like pulls them apart because they're inconvenient for the moment. It was a very man of steel kind of moment. Yeah. It's like, I should, on- I'll let you arrest me, but never in chains. Yeah. I'll yeah, just it was, walk it was with a you. Page nine. It was, it was pretty uh-huh. great. Yeah. I like the fight. I like both fights that pretty much, you know, Daredevil had no chance, but just kept trying anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that name. We're at a level now where Namer doesn't want to kill people anymore. Not that's not his first go-to move anymore, is it? No. Which is which is good because he's about to become. I mean, he's about to become the protagonist, mm-hmm. and you don't want your protagonist to be murderous because we're not we're not at the Punisher yet. No, it's kind of a cool story arc. Like like Sue Storm just like broke his heart so bad that now he's just like docile and kind of nice person. <laughs> <laughs> Sue broke the Submariner forever. <laughs> right? Because he used to be a guy that would invade, invade New York City and stuff. And now he wants to, like, legally do it with a tiptoe and not hurt anybody. I think in the 60s you would say he's a real pussycat. Yeah. I'm never going to say that again. Um, I like that the legal system actually required more than 24 hours. Because when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. 24 hours. Yeah. So that was funny. Yeah. It's also kind well, of a page filler, but. I didn't really buy Namor's entire move here. Like, looking for a legal recourse for invasion. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that That does not sound... Like, I'm glad he's kind of calmer. I'm glad he's not, like, invading at the drop of a hat. But, like, looking for a legal excuse based on human laws, based on surface laws. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a legal recourse to invasion. That just... I don't know. That doesn't seem... In keeping. It didn't really make sense to me. Your Honor, before this trial begins, my client wishes to file a countercharge against the entire human race. <laughs> it's like, okay, good right. luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, how would that work? Like, if you were a people and wanted to, like, let's say Native Americans or something, have they ever sued or anything like that when it comes to, you know, what was done to them or any sort of race? I mean, I don't even know if Atlanteans, if that's even a thing. It's not like humans even existed when Atlantis fell, did we? I don't know. But say you are a race that, that feels like you were stomped on. Could you sue or get something back legally somehow? Or does that not work? I don't know how that happens. Like, we've done things like, you know, changed civil rights, you know, changed the laws for people and mm-hmm. and realized that, okay, we need to be treating these people differently. But as far as, like, suing for damages... I have no idea. Or for the right to live in a certain place. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But that's why we're not lawyers. Right. I really don't think this would work, though. So maybe he was just stalling because he didn't want to invade again. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> He's like, Crane didn't even want to live on the surface. He just wants to get, you know, keep me busy. But if I don't, you know, make him happy, then I have to put up with his whining all the time. So fine. I'll, I know. I'll just, I'll just go look and see if there's some legal way I can invade. Yeah. That's a good human laws. And, and he's just like marking time because it wants to keep Crane from grousing too much. And meanwhile, Crane leads a revolt. Yeah. So his two new weapons, one lasts forever. One I think we don't see very often anymore is the cane cable of course is like a thing that he always uses mm-hmm. to swing around and then this whole smoke screen thing i've never heard of before so i imagine it doesn't last i would imagine so too it might be just one of those like a like a um, utility belt thing he just happens to have something there he can use it's not a bad idea for him because like it doesn't affect him at all so right it's not but a- he also doesn't seem to use it offensively he didn't really take advantage of the smoke well, he managed to not be killed, so that was good. 
But that is good. I don't know what he could do offensively to Namer that would work anyway. He he That's lassoed true. his ankle. I think that was the offensive move there. Okay. And I do love that he like squeezed his little baby wings and that stopped him from flying. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that was like genius. The vulture, but with little baby wings. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was genius that he just slowly climbs up and as Namer's bragging and like just noink stops. I his, got your wings. Right? I got your wings. <laughs> and they plummet to the ground. That was awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, but um, we do have a friend of the show. Who is a Daredevil expert. Mm -hmm. He even has a podcast about Daredevil called Dave's Daredevil Podcast. I don't know how he got it from Dave. But um, Uh no, just kidding. He is Dave. Uh, J. David Weeder. And he wrote up some thoughts on Daredevil 7. So we're going to talk about these. He says, Daredevil 7 is where the rubber hits the road. The red costume completely changes the visual trajectory of the character that Wallywood began by changing the insignia to the double D. Mm-hmm. So we've got we've got this visual difference. The double D changed things, and now the red changes things. And yeah, the visuals of the character are a completely different tone. I like that. Mm-hmm. He says suddenly the man without fear made sense. Many think Wally Wood deserves a creator credit. From a technical standpoint, I can't agree with that, but Wood definitely deserves to be mentioned with influential Daredevil contributors like Frank Miller, Brian Michael Bendis, and Gene Colan. His contributions cannot be discounted. They are the key to Daredevil's visual appeal. And I never hear Wally Wood's name mentioned in the history of Daredevil. Not often, no. Um, Frank Miller and Brian Michael Bendis, Ed Brubaker, those are all like, you know, modern. Well, Frank Miller's influence was 30 plus years ago. But um, it's often Frank Miller, yeah. Yeah. Also, I will always love the fact that Daredevil takes on the Submariner head on. He's outmatched by a wide margin, but that doesn't slow him down. Mm -hmm. He loses, which is a foregone conclusion, but Namor has such a massive respect for him, and it shines a light on Daredevil's level of character. Such a great issue, and it plants the seeds for Namor's next steps in the Marvel Universe. This is very true. That was my favorite part of the book, is just Daredevil having no chance but trying anyway. I mean, where are the Fantastic Four and the Avengers when you need them, you know? Right. But uh, They're at home washing their tights. Or even Spider-Man could have maybe tried. But poor Daredevil, but he did it. And, yeah, the idea of man without fear does does really key into this. He's Mm going to take on Namor because Namor needs to be stopped. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that bit with Karen at the end goes anywhere. Well, I feel like she said this before, but I could be wrong. And anyway, they're doing the whole, like, I didn't like the part where she's like, I've got to stop wishful thinking. Like, oh, you wish he had his sight? Like, that is that holding you back? Like, he's not yeah. good enough. But we already kind of knew that about her also because she was trying to get him to fix his eyesight in the, her first appearance. So mm-hmm. that's a bad character trait on her part. The blindness as a personal character flaw is a, is a problem trope. Mm-hmm. But that does um, that does take us to the end of Daredevil 7, unless you have anything else. Nope. Good. It, well, there is a pinup, if anybody cares, of Namor. Oh, yeah. There is a pretty good pinup of Namor and Daredevil together. Namor strutting away and Daredevil on the ground trying to stop him. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The, um, the pinups that we have have been like pinups of single characters or like the supporting cast. I don't think we've ever had a plot-relevant pinup before. Right. That's true. Kind of a weird one to paint on, put on your wall, you know, your hero on the ground mm-hmm. about to get destroyed. With Namor strutting away. Is that even Wally Wood? I mean, who knows? But I don't know. It's a cool picture. It is a cool picture. Is he signed? 
It doesn't. It doesn't seem to be, but they don't really do that stuff back then. Yeah. All right. Anyway, on to the last one of the night. Journey into Mystery 115, The Vengeance of the Thunder God. What a weird cover. Uh, it, it's always grabbed me because it has the Loki arms reaching out over everything. <laughs> yeah, but he looks weird because he doesn't have a body. And it gets weirder the longer you look at it. Uh-huh. Because there's the absorbing man's face made of metal and Thor's fighting it. But then you realize he has like some sort of bestial body made out of mountain. Uh-huh. And it almost looks like a dog's bo- or bear's body or something. <laughs> it's weird. It's just kind of weird, yeah. Yeah. And also, he's significantly larger than the police who are shooting at him. But then Thor is up front, so it kind of is weird perspective. Yeah. And it's, it all, is a, it's all squashed down to the last third of the cover so that so that Loki's weird arms can take up the middle part. Ah, it's just a weird layout. Don't love it. Technically speaking, it's a, it's a, it's a weird concept. Yes. Okay, there is a nice little recap bubble here. So I'm going to read that because I was going to recap anyway. So he'll just save me the time. The evil Loki has captured Jane Foster. With those staggering words ringing in his ears, mighty Thor abandons his earthly battle with the absorbing man. Like a living engine of destruction, the raging immortal returns to Asgard, braving the menace of Loki's deadly trap. Respectfully dedicated to you, the great new breed of magazine reader. This story is by Stan Lee, the sage of the Marvel Age. Penciling by Jack Kirby, the rage of the Marvel Age. Inking by Frankie Ray for his wage in the Marvel Age. Lettering by Artie Simic from his cage in the Marvel Age. Poor Artie. Poor Artie Simic. The Vengeance of the Thunder God. And just like the blurb said, Thor is attacking Loki. Loki has Jane Foster, and Thor is having none of it. He attacks Loki, and they fight. Meanwhile, back on Earth, that reporter who was talking to Thor about stuff, he's still around for some reason. And uh, he is telling the police about the Absorbing Man. They don't believe him. He's like, look, here's my credentials. I know what I saw. We live in the Marvel Universe. This stuff happens. There's a guy. He turns into stone and stuff. So meanwhile, Crusher Creel is just walking around and he finds a house with people in it. And he's like, oh, I want to torment you. Make me some food. And he goes inside and torments them to make them some food. Meanwhile, Thor and Loki are fighting some more, and Odin shows up and is like, my two sons are fighting. I have never encouraged enmity between the two of you by calling Thor my favorite and Loki second best, and yet here you are fighting. I do not understand. I am Odin. And Loki's like, um, yeah, look at Thor. He brought Jane to Asgard, which is against all the rules. And Odin says, I will not be tricked by Loki. But it definitely looks like Thor brought Jane here against all the rules. So um, we're going to have to do something about that. (laughs) He like literally says, I will not be tricked. And then believes him. (laughs) So he... He casts Thor and Jane back to Earth. He's like, Thor, you're going to have to go to the trial of the gods. This is a problem. You have broken the rules. You brought a mortal to Asgard. We have issues. And Thor's like, okay, fine. I'll do your whole trial of the gods thing. Meanwhile, um, I was in the middle of a fight when uh, I got in a fight with Loki. So I need to go finish that and save some people on Midgard. Because remember, Odin, remember how you love Midgard? And um, so give me 48 hours. And Odin's like, fine, go take a couple of issues, wrap up your fight. So meanwhile, the Absorbing Man is harassing some people. 
Uh, she throws a bottle at him, but he just turns to glass, which doesn't seem to be the best idea. But then he turns into curtains, and then he turns into statue, and he's just doing all this like random stuff. Hey, look at me. I can turn into all sorts of things. The police surround the house, and that's when Thor shows up. Let me help. I'm Thor. And um, goes up to the window. Oh, look, it really is the absorbing man in there. So the people inside finally have enough. Husband, like, punches the absorbing man in the face while he's a human form. Um, dude falls to the ground, grabs his ball and chain, and turns into metal. The reporter runs in and says, hey, stop that. And the absorbing man starts coming after him. Reporter runs out, help, help, help. Uh, absorbing man crashes his way through the uh, walls. And then Thor says, I am the Thunder God. And he throws his hammer at the absorbing man and knocks his ball and chain out of his hands. Uh, they start fighting. Thor uses his hammer to like shoot fire at the guy because it can totally do that. And now the absorbing man is the human torch. He's made of fire. Um, they're fighting in the woods. So the absorbing man turns into trees and he's on the ground. So part of him turns into ground and his face is still made of metal. And then Thor is like, okay, you know what? I just remembered that if I spin my hammer, if I twirl it, as fast as a cyclotron, which, by the way, means like approaching the speed of light, um, I can transmute atoms into other substances. So I'm going to do that and turn you into helium. So it's not even that the absorbing man absorbs helium. He turns the absorbing man into helium. And helium absorbing man dissipates and floats away. It's lighter than air, so it goes up into the upper atmosphere. They show him floating through space. Um, but I think he would logically stay just like in the upper atmosphere of Earth. And that's it. So the reporter's safe. The couple is safe. The woman really loves her man for beating up the, um, the, the absorbing man. Thor goes back to Jane, who's asleep on the couch. He's like, bye, Jane, I love you. And Odin's like, your time has come. And uh, Thor heads off to face his fate like a god. The end. Wow. I'm a little all over the place on this one. I can't decide. Yeah. Yeah, I like a lot of it, and I also think some of it's weird. But uh. um, That's probably where I am, too, but I definitely come down on the positive side. Mm-hmm. This is one of those where the second half of the fight was actually, I thought, better than the first. Yes. Um, I don't really know where this reporter guy is going, but I know he's going to be around for a little while longer. But They do seem to want him to be around, yeah. Other than Odin being completely ridiculous, I liked a lot of this. So to start out with, I just was kind of surprised they went right into the fight. I don't know why. I thought he was going to have to go through a bunch of Loki shenanigans to get to Loki. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. Straight into a fight with Loki and his crazy power sword versus, or, you know, Thor and his hammer. And that was kind of fun. Yeah, there were two really weird logic things about it, though. First of all, he says his magic sword is equal to the Ur hammer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? No, he's lying. He's got to be lying. He's lying. Totally. And then they mentioned that Loki has pledged never to hurt anyone. I noticed that too. I was wondering if that just was all the gods because Odin made all the gods pledge not to hurt anyone. It's kind of hard to be evil. And Loki is always trying to hurt Thor. Like always. Well, it says hurt any mortal. Okay. But even then, think of all of Loki's past shenanigans. He's never hurt mortals. Define hurt. Never. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's that not seems true. unlikely. Right. I mean, just giving a mortal a power, maybe that's hurting them. I don't know. Creating ice cream streets, doesn't that hurt people? 
I don't know. I would think so. Anyway, it did seem a little odd. But maybe they're trying to explain why Loki just doesn't outright kill people or something. Because he could just kill Jane. Why not just kill her? I guess he could. Yeah. And that would, I mean, that would sort of change the book forever. But, like, he could totally just kill Jane. And then Thor be without Jane. And, hey, he did Odin a favor. Or kill Dawn. Oh. Can he kill Dawn? I don't know. Can he? Because he's mortal sometimes. Is Dawn killable? I don't know. Like that's one of the that's one of the cool aspects of the uh, the incarnation story is the idea that a god has be- has taken on this killable form, mm-hmm. but you know the god part doesn't die; just the human part dies. So, oh, I see is- what you're saying. So, but would the god part be taken with it? Like when Billy Bots, if Billy Batson is killed, do we get to see Captain Marvel anymore? Right. I don't know. Well, according to um, the Savage Dragon. When Mighty Man was killed, Mighty Man was dead. But then another person becomes Mighty Man later, so he mm. does he get this just the same powers? I don't know. Um, well, because he passed Odin. it on, right? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Odin. Oh, my God. Okay, so he is weird twice in this. Well, three times right? if you go with the thing you're making fun of about how they he's upset that they're fighting. That's stupid right there. But then he's like, I don't trust you, Loki, but visually everything you're saying checks out, so I'm going to believe you, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, and then Thor's like, well, can I go down and finish this fight? And Loki's like, well, don't let him do that. And Th- Odin's like, well, Thor's word is his bond. So sure, go on down. Never mind that two seconds ago, Thor was saying that Loki's a liar. So which is it? I mean, if you totally believe Thor and let him go because he's going to come back, then don't you also believe when he says that Loki's the liar and the one who brought Jane here? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. It's like he's doubling down his stupidity, kind of. Thor says you lie. Loki says behold. Odin says I will not be deceived, but I have to believe my eyes. So I guess Thor is lying. Yet Thor's word is his. Yeah, that's 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 weird. It's like pick a side, dude. And I was reading that dialogue, and I was like, I know too well the cunning of thy tongue, ruthless Loki. And I'm like, since when? That too. Yeah. Odin shall not be deceived. You mean this time? <laughs> Except this time. Except this time he is deceived again. again. Yes. Uh, so it's yeah, Odin. Odin is one of the worst people. He's the worst. <laughs> He's like the worst in the Marvel universe. There's no one worse. No one. Maybe Magneto right now, but that's right about now. it. Yeah, because Odin. Whenever Magneto gets more complex, Odin just loses an eye. Right, and he stays pretty much the same. Right. Um, um, did you know that Thor? An- did you know that Thor has Superman two powers? I did not know Thor has Superman two powers. Yeah, he can make you forget. Oh, just by kissing you, I guess, right? right? He didn't have to kiss her. That's how good he is. He just summoned oh, he, forth his power at his command. He totally kissed her. The though. gift of forgetfulness. And she just like sleeps it off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so she's going to sleep and forget like... That she was kidnapped by Loki. to Asgard? Yeah. Well, she was wondering why Thor is going out of his way to save her. So it's probably good she can't remember. Oh, yeah. Thor is often around to save her. She's noticing. We have seen Rick Jones's ID card, his Avengers ID, but this is the first time we get mention of their A1 clearance on page 10. Uh-huh. So and Avengers so definitely has special status. He can he used it to take over the leadership of the police force, essentially. Right. I still think that has to be from Tony Stark, right? And all his contacts with the government and stuff. I would think so. So does that mean that it can be revoked if Tony Stark gets in tr- I guess it does get revoked, like well, when Henry Peter Gyrick starts breathing down their neck. Well, Tony did die for five issues or so, technically. Oh. But like, maybe they didn't revoke it then. 
I was just thinking that if Tony got in trouble, would the people he vouched for also get in trouble? Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. That's how clearance works. I don't know. I don't know either. Or whether it's even him. Maybe it's Hank Pym. He's also in government work. I don't know. Maybe it's neither. I say it's Tony. I, I like the idea that it's Tony. I think it's in Tony. my head canon, it's Tony. He, yeah. he gets all the hookups. Yeah, he does. So, yeah, he says he's going to spin it at cyclotronic speed. And <sighs> I looked up okay. cyclotrons. Okay. This is the part that's so, a little weak for me. Yeah. A cyclotron is a particle accelerator. Mm-hmm. And it, it accelerates the particles around this spiral path until the particles really do approach the speed of light. Like, we're talking massive velocities here. So he's either swinging that that hammer like unbelievably fast, mm-hmm. or he's using like just hyperbolic description, like like Johnny's Johnny's uh, uh, near Nova blast. Oh yeah. Well, I'm fine with him being able to swing it unbelievably fast, but I don't really understand what happens. Still, kind of because like either like you said, he literally turns him into hydrogen, which is a really crazy power to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Or like Thor says on the end of page 14 he's like knowing that i that he absorbed every power every element he came in contact with i realized my only hope of beating him was to create one special element so did he just create the element and have the element brush up against absorbing man but if that's the case absorbing man is not just turning into anything that touches him because there's lots of things floating around touching him like he's choosing to turn into whatever he wants to turn into yeah so how did this work i don't understand it was just kind of a weird ending and it then, doesn't really make sense because I had remembered this as being he accidentally absorbs the helium. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It is a conscious choice for him to absorb the stuff that's near him. He doesn't accidentally absorb stuff. Because, like, just think about all the things right now crawling all over our skins, you know. He's not turning into that on accident. Right. For instance. Right. And then, you know, the helium. Helium? Is that what he did? Or hydrogen? Helium. 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 That floats in space? That seemed weird, too. But I don't know. Well, it floats above air. So it would go to the upper layers of atmosphere where maybe it's starting to look like space instead of atmosphere. But, well, that um, looks like planet Earth. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's not supposed to be. But it's weird. I mean, in theory, if, if, he, if, if for some reason the gas was able to break out of the gravitational pull of the Earth, you can have gases floating through space. Hmm. That's what nebulas are. Hmm. Um. Well, let's just say he's floating around up top there because I have a feeling he's going to come back. I've heard of this guy before. The Absorbed Man. Yeah, he's, he seems like he might be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the the end of this story has some continuity stuff. He says um, he, goodbye to Jane. Well, first he leaves the fight. Then he says goodbye to Jane. Then he goes to Asgard. Uh-huh. There are some other little continuity bits here. Um, we're going to read in the Avengers. He actually sees the Avengers briefly before he leaves. Oh, cool. So either it's just before the Jane or where it says at that very moment between Jane and the rooftop, there's actually more time there. One or the other. Um, he goes to Avengers Mansion. He says his goodbyes to Iron Man, Giant Man, and the Wasp. And we're going to see like them that. mention that in the Avengers. I like that because he does say he has things to do. Mm-hmm. Many are tasks which still await me, but then he only does one thing. So it's like right. it's cool that he had more than one thing to do, and I do love yeah, this I like ending. The, I like the the uh, foreboding of whatever this trial is going to be. It's kind of fun, right? And he's going to face it. Like I like him, like mm-hmm. walking the sad walk of shame off to face his fate. Mm-hmm. And it explains why um, they need a new roster change. So that's kind of cool if he doesn't come back. Yeah, the roster change um, may not be related, but seems like it could. Well, be. I think it's sort of it's a happy, it's a serendipitous thing. Okay. 
like, I think what we're going to see is that Henry and Jen are like, we kind of want to just focus on sciencey stuff for a while and not do superhero things. And, and Thor's not here anyway. And, mm-hmm. and Iron Man, you're too busy doing Iron Man stuff. I, I think it's like, it happens at a, at a convenient time. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get there soon because Avengers 16 is not far away. Yay. So, of course, after that, we then have our latest installment of the Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. Once again, more of the early life of evil Loki. This is a viper in our midst. It is, once again, the art of illodrama. Illodrama? Is that like illustrated drama? I guess that's what that's supposed to mean. It reaches the Kinda pinnacle. Weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. But, you know, Stan Lee, he, he makes the board sometimes. Mm-hmm. Reaches the pinnacle of classic perfection under the talented hands of Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby illustrator, Vince Coletta delineator, and Artie Simic letterer. All right. Um, so what we have here is we have Thor leading a battle against God, most deadly of the storm giants. He's about to attack Asgard. So, of course, young Thor is leading a task force to battle the titanic invader. And Loki's there. Loki's thinking about how he should be leading this fight instead of Thor. So he's going to find a way to make Thor fail. So we're fighting against um, God. And Loki's sort of lurking in the background. He's got this magic sword, which I think he also used during the story, uh, the main story. He switches it around and makes some swirlies in the air to cast a spell so that God will have the final victory. And he will then cause the downfall of Thor, whom he despises. So there's more fighting. There's a catapult. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. And and they hit Gon and Gon is down and they go find him and... And he, he's not there. His body should be lying on the ground, but it's vanished without a trace. And Loki's like, ha ha ha, they have not beaten God. I have snatched victory out of Thor's hands. I am so awesome. And then God, poof, appears in a puff of smoke in front of Loki. And uh, God's like, thanks for saving me from the vengeance of your brother. I don't know why you're doing this, but um, now I'm in your debt. And Loki's like, I'm totally going to call in that debt as I gather some people together to make an alliance with the forces of evil. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the end. So just to clarify, it's Thor versus G-H-A-N, not Thor versus G-O-D, which would be a way different story. Yes, gone, not God. <laughs> um, it's like, that's awfully close. We'd have a little gone, God, God on God action there. Yeah. Be like, wow, a little more important than a backstory. Thor versus God. Wow. So do you think that Loki would actually be good at leading a fighting patrol? He doesn't strike me as a um, strategic guy or a leader guy. At least not stra- it, strategy in the sense of battle, more like strategy in the sense of machinations. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, he'd probably be good at some sort of backstabby game. I don't know if he'd be great at chess against someone who's really good at war. But maybe he would be. I don't know. It's weird because, like, a lot of times these – Villains who lead a bunch of people, like, why would anybody follow these bastards? But they do Mm -hmm. for no reason. Like, gosh, every time we screw up, Darth Vader chokes us to death. Like, I don't know. Where's the loyalty and the charisma there, you know? But so I I couldn't tell you, but I kind of feel like he doesn't have the leadership quality that would make me want to fight for him very hard. Right. And certainly in the movies, whenever people are reacting to Loki, it's never with a, yes, let's follow this guy. Mm-hmm. It's more like, a, yes, let's tolerate this guy. <laughs> I'm not even sure why he wants to lead because it seems to me he's more of a character who prefers to 
sort of ruin things that are happening for other people. Yeah, maybe he's still finding his niche. Right now he's just envies Thor, so he wishes that he were in Thor's place. Or maybe mm-hmm. he just wants daddy's love. Yeah, he's always shooting for that throne for some reason. But and dad's don't know always if that's like, his skill set. Even though you're not my favorite son. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe you way more than I should, so yeah. I must like you on some <laughs> level. I put it in my notes. This is the same enchanted sword we saw in the Absorbing Man story. I don't think okay. we've seen it before this. I'm not sure we see it often again because I don't really think of Loki as having a magic sword. Neither but. do I. It's He-Man, right? He-Man. Well, there's lots of magic swords. We should make a list of magic swords. Excalibur, uh, He-Man. I, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> That's the last some, one. <laughs> some Highlander sword might be cool. I don't that, know. That one singing sword from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's got to be lots of fictionally awesome swords out there. So this Gon guy, I looked him up. He um, he never comes back in name, but mm-hmm. I kind of feel like they're setting up the idea that Loki is going to lead a Ragnarok at the end of the world. And so like when he leads Ragnarok, he's, of course, going to have to lead a lot of forces against Asgard. So Gon's giants might be part of that. That's weird. He never comes back. I kind of felt like they were setting it up for the next part of the story. Right? Like, like you know, later in life, Loki brings Gon back and, like, cuts Thor's head off or something. I don't know. Yeah. Is is Loki responsible for Ragnarok in uh, actual Norse mythology or something? I don't I, know. I believe so. Definitely is in the comics, but I believe that's because he is in the lore as well. Okay. Well, it makes sense. I mean, he's the god of evil, so the idea of him leading forces of evil um, at the end of the world makes sense to me. He seems much more evil now than when he first started. Mm-hmm. And now that these flashbacks, he's also evil. It's like they're just retconning that the entire time he's always just been evil. Evil. Whereas I kind of thought initially he was just more mischievous and maybe young Loki wasn't all bad. But I think apparently now he's just all bad. Mm-hmm. Well, they've made him more complex in recent years. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in the 70s, he is basically a cackling villain who just like is always up to no good. But mm-hmm. they've made him. And I think somebody wrote us a letter. The Loki in the current comics is not even the same Loki. Like that Loki died and was reformed or something like that. So, I don't oh, know. Oh, great. We missed that in our Thor read through, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten there yet, Mike. It's a ways off. No, right. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> Maybe. So, shall we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say about this issue? Let's say let's see how it's all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they Gene, all are now. <laughs> Gene Hendricks, Gene uh, Gene, the podcasting machine um, from the Hammer Strikes podcast. He writes before we get started here. No, Gone the Giant is not part of the lore. Okay, well, that's that, that just throws the story out then, right? Right. Now that we have that bit out of the way, this is another story that is representative of what might have happened if we were told of Loki's backstory. I guess he means like if we had found out in the lore what Loki was all about. Mm-hmm. It's uh, oh yeah, he confirms he will end up leading the giants and other enemies of Asgard against the gods in Ragnarok. So it makes ah. sense that he would have st- he would have to start forging those alliances at some point. Awesome. It all, I did not read this before I, I met my notes, so we, Gene and I were thinking along the same lines there. Maybe it's because he's closer to me now. We're both in Florida, so our brains are kind of in sync now. I don't know. Right. Could be. All that water. <laughs> all the alligators. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never seen an alligator in Florida. That's just a thing. 
It also hmm. shows how crafty he's become by staying out of the battle and then tricking the others into thinking that he's defending their withdrawal from the field. This fits in nicely with what we know of him. So yeah, he's a liar and a schemer and up to no good. Yeah, it's a cool story. Like I, I think we've said that before. Like they're good at making these backstories sound mythologically sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is a good story in terms of like you said, like having Loki setting up the building blocks for Ragnarok. You know. Um, even if it didn't actually derive from any sort of actual Norse source, it's still right. cool. Still yeah. works. Norse source. <laughs> Norse source. A Norse is a source, times. of course, of course. <laughs> 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 All right. Oh, does that make Beta Ray Bill a Norse horse? Is he a horse? He looks like a horse, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's a horse head. He's a space horse. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's our episode. That's the first week of February. All wrapped up in a nice, pretty bow. Six more to go. (laughs) Not six more Februarys. No, six more issues for February. Right. So we want to say thank you out there in listener land for following us on Twitter. Um, Actually, I was supposed to do this after you say the homework, aren't I? Okay. So speaking of those six issues, here's three more for you, folks. We got uh, next episode, we'll be covering Sergeant Fury number 17. That's called While the Jungle Sleeps. So I think it takes place in the desert. Strange Tales number 132, where the human torch and the thing fight the sinister space trap. And Doctor Strange keeps fighting Baron Mordo. And then lastly, we have Tales of Suspense, which looks really fun because A, enter the Red Skull at long last. And B, this one's really intriguing. The new Iron Man fights the old Iron Man. So what? What? Yeah. What? So tune in next week to find out what that's all about. And um, we have Mike Spurbeck has followed us on Twitter. So thank you very much for the follow, Mike. We always appreciate retweets and um, talking us up out there in Twitter land or on Facebook. Um, and where can they uh, where can they contact us or find us, all that stuff? You can contact us by writing podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Or if you don't want to remember that, just go to makearsmarvel.com and there'll be a contact form there you can just fill out. That's also where you can find links to all our shows Um, links to the social media for Facebook and Twitter, and most importantly, links to all the feeds for, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and pretty much anything else I could think of. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My website, johnreadscomics.com, has my other podcast, All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast, which is also on Twitter at All the Pouches, as is my brand new podcast, which you've been hearing about on the ends of these episodes I stuck the trailer, and I'm going to put a, play it one more time at the end of this episode. Uh, and that is for Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast where I am looking at the comics published by Marvel UK about the Transformers in the 1980s and the cartoons that came out alongside them. So go check that out. Let me know what you think. Um, it's, it's Autobots, Decepticons, humans, and maybe more than meets the eye. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Whoa, I see what um, Yeah. Also, my tweet blog, Let's Talk Wanda's over there. And yeah, um, I guess that's our show. That's our show. Well, come talk to us next time. And until then, or until the Absorbing Man gets absorbed by Major Talbot, make ours marvel. marvel.